You've already heard it all. But now you resonate. The world has pushed you out of what you thought you knew, your comfort zone, and into this strange place, this slightly off reality. Welcome to the Truth Serum Podcast, hosted by the controversial and funny Don Bates, author, mother, human, and all-around thought leader. The time has come to realign your essence with your experience. We all know this world is changing. You're here now because you've personally felt it, and your reality has reflected The Truth Serum Podcast, getting to the root of what really is. And now, Don Bates. Everybody, uh, welcome to the very first episode of the Truth Serum podcast with me, Dawn Bates. Um, I intend to have conversations that a lot of people don't want to have, and I'm absolutely delighted to have my first guest, Mr. Robert Keston, a very dear friend of mine who I absolutely adore, and I adore the work he does in this world. Um, but I'm going to hand you over to him so he can uh, explain to you the work he does, because I think he's the best person to explain it. Um, so this is Robert Keston. We met in Egypt, and here he is. Yes, we met in Egypt under interesting circumstances that now it seems the rest of the world has caught up and we all live in interesting times. Don't we all? <laughs> and the work that I did in Egypt during the Arab Spring was to do what I could and to do what our organizations could to keep the idea of the principles of human rights alive while the country was going through a transition, while the region was going through a transition mm. and, and to make a real effort for people to face the hard truths of what life could be like if we are willing to put human dignity and human beings before we put other things. And although for moments we were marginally successful, obviously Egypt has sunk back into a military dictatorship, Mm. but some of the countries in the region are striving, if not fully successful, in keeping the ideas of human rights alive. And clearly many of the people that I worked with in Egypt, both in Cairo and Alexandria, are doing amazing work today, whether in Egypt or out of Egypt. They've become educators, they've become human rights activists, they've become and other initiatives. So it's, it's quite amazing to see them on social media doing this work that I hope was in part inspired by the work we did together um, all those years ago. And so I continue to push uh, the integration. Yes, now uh, push the integration of 
human rights and the idea that the Universal Declaration of Human Rights can be foundational, not only to our lives, but to government and all the other institutions and organizations that contribute to our lives. If the police, if the military, if gov uh, regular government, if businesses incorporated that document as the ground level and the infrastructure and the framework for what they were doing, uh, people would be considered in ways that people are not considered now. And it would just dramatically change the way we think of each other. And over time, as it becomes part of our DNA, we wouldn't even have to think about it anymore. It would just be who we are. And our lives would be better for it. The planet would be better for it, both environmentally and socially. So that's what I continue to do. Um, I think that I do it the hard way, not by choice, but because I don't know any other way. And that is, I often don't go to talk to the already converted. I end up trying to go to those who don't believe that these values and these principles are part of a solution. And so they're not always welcoming. And sometimes they're anything but welcoming. And yet, and yet, if you get some of those people to at least listen and hear the language and learn the language, that opens a door to communication that otherwise will never exist. And I think that that is very much where the divide is between people around the world. Those who believe that human rights is a part of or is a solution to the world's problems and those who believe that it's absolutely not. And even words as simple as the word safety. Mm. If you say it to someone who believes in human rights as a solution, safety means one thing. If you say it to people who think of strict law and order as the only solution or, or the military as the solution or guns as the solution to the problem, you get a very different answer to what does the word safety mean? And all of us, or most of us, from when we're tiny little children, learn a concept of safety. And if we can't agree on the definition of such a simple word, a word that we're exposed to as early as we can imagine, then we really have a communications problem and the communications problem over time gets worse and worse and worse, not better and better and better. So that's what I'm doing. And this, I, I, I've admired you for so long, Robert, because the work that you do and the experiences I've had speaking out on some of the things that are really important to me and that I see that are really important to the world, it can be a really alienating, lonely journey. Um, and sometimes when people send you messages that are really quite vile, you're just like, I'm just wanting the world to be a better place. I'm not doing this to be nasty or I'm not saying these things for any other reason other than for us to get together and find solutions for problems that are happening in the world. How have you dealt with that over the time? Because you've been in some really, should we say, hot water 
uh, around the world in some really um, incredible situations, um, not just Egypt, um, but how have you dealt with that, you know, bringing human rights to people and having these difficult conversations with people who are actually not wanting to listen, not wanting to know? Uh, like I said, uh, I've never looked for the easy way. Uh, I guess I'm still surprised that I haven't tried to find an easier way. Um, I, I've not taken a way that provides financial security. And I do regret that to some extent because uh, I have kids and responsibilities that a little bit more financial resources would be very welcome. Uh, but I do like you feel an obligation that we all need to leave the world a little bit better than we found it. Mm. And there are certain aspects to the world that are better now than they were, you know, a hundred years ago, 50 years ago, but the complexity of the world has gotten much greater. And that complexity makes our quality of life outside the creature comfort uh, more difficult. So by focusing on the long-term and in the hope that even though I've had guns held at me and uh, have been told to leave places that I wasn't exactly welcome. I remember a translator in the Soviet Union telling me, uh, you know, they're gonna shoot you. <laughs> they're gonna absolutely shoot you. And if they shoot you, they're gonna shoot me too. So please stop. Um, <laughs> but, but they didn't shoot us. <laughs> right, and they didn't shoot us and systems were changed and people were treated a, a little bit differently, at least for a short period of time. And when that happens, when the treatment changes, those people recognize the fact that there is another way. And whether they stick to it or not, somewhere in their mind and in their heart, they recognize that there are other ways. And that is a breakthrough. And that is really worth it. And when you're in a, in a place that's un, that you're not accustomed to, and you go over the declaration and you see the lights going off in people's eyes when they realize that because they were born human beings, they have inalienable rights that are not given and cannot be taken by government without you allowing it to happen. It changes the way they see themselves and it changes the way they see themselves in the world. And that's a tremendous reward for doing this kind of work. Okay, so let's have a um, go, because I know that you and I have been discussing a situation that's happening in the Arab world, in Jordan, um, and with a lot of the Filipino women that are out there. And both of us have tried to reach out to certain people, and people that are in a position to help don't want to help. How have you um, over the years navigated this? Because obviously one of the things that I wanna do is get more people involved in social movements and human rights and 
And I'd, sometimes it's like, you feel like you're banging your head against a brick wall that, come on, wake up people. This is, this is really happening. And if we don't deal with it now, it's gonna get worse. And if we don't deal with it now, people are going to be dying or living in conditions that you would never wish to be in yourself. Um, and I've always believed that with our freedom comes our responsibility. And with our knowledge and our awareness and our life experiences, we have a duty to share. Um, and I know that some people have said to me, Dawn, it's none of your business. But when I was in Tahrir Square and I was interviewed by CNN, and I said, well, if I haven't got my human rights recognized, then nobody has. You know, or if I, sorry, if I want to have my human rights recognized, then I've got to, I have a duty to help other people have theirs recognized. Otherwise, there is no human rights. Um, and like people were like, what, 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 like, and my, even my mom, this has got nothing to do with you, Dawn. I went, it's got everything to do with me because I'm in a position where I can help. So when we are in a position to be able to help people, like some of the people that we've reached out to that have refused to help with the, the Filipino Jordanian situation, how do you keep motivated? And can you tell us also, a little bit more about the situation that we're see, we know of in Jordan. Well, the situation isn't just Jordan; it's across the, the Middle East and and in other parts of the world as well, where people leave their homeland in order to find work. And in some countries, in in many countries, uh, in many countries where you would never think that this happens. When they arrive there, they really have no rights at all, no civil rights, certainly no human rights. And if they're there without documentation, which is the case in many places around the world, uh, very often their passports are taken from them and any means of communicating with their homes uh, or having access to money is all limited. At, at best. So they are in, in some sense indentured servants or even slaves. And so anything can happen to them because they have no civil rights. And they certainly, as I said, have no human rights. So in for many of these women, whether they're from Indonesia or from the Philippines or from other Southeast Asian countries or Central and South American countries, uh, when they get to their location, they're on their own to a large extent with the weight of the world on their shoulders because they have very little access to anything. In many cases, their countries, their home countries, also either do not have full representation in these other countries or turn a blind eye to foreign guest workers that are from their country because the money that comes back in is more important to them than the person who's earning that money who's out. And so we've seen through uh, our pages, uh, our Jordan page, we get contacted somewhat regularly from predominantly women, but sometimes men who are being abused. They're being beaten. Uh, if they had a relationship in that country and had children, the children are often taken away. Uh, they're sometimes left homeless. And if they're homeless, then they can be arrested. When they're arrested, they're beaten. Uh, and they have absolutely no recourse. 
And one reason people don't get involved is because in kingdoms or in dictatorships, there's very little and limited recourse. And too few people are willing to take any kind of risk for somebody else in a situation where they can be hurt. And that's understandable. And what motivates me is I always envision myself in the position of the person who's being hurt. Uh, I have, as I said many times already, you know, always look, always follow the difficult route. And so even though I'm white and male, uh, I have found myself in situations that have been enormously unpleasant over the course of my life. And I've learned from them. But I think the most important thing I learned from them is the notion that we must make every effort to walk in the shoes of those we presume to judge. Judgment is almost never a really good thing, but it's a terrible thing when you haven't made the effort to figure out why and how someone has gotten into the situation that they're in before you judge them. And that's my biggest motivation is that if not for the sake of God, you know, where would I be and how would I be? And that's where they are. Mm. And we're all in this together. And one of my fallback to expressions is if all boats float, the world is a better place. When we allow one boat to sink, the people on that boat are gonna grab for the next floating boat and they're gonna pull it down and every boat will go down with them. So our objective, our motivation, certainly mine, is to float all boats. The fact is that we're born equal Mm -hmm. under the law and we should be treated equal under the law. Equality doesn't mean the same. You're a woman, I'm a man. There are many people taller than me. There are a handful of people shorter than me. Um, There are people with black hair and brown hair and blonde hair and red hair and every other color. Uh, So we're not the same. We don't look the same. We don't talk the same. We don't speak the same language. Uh, We don't like the same books or the same movies or the same music. But under the law, in the eyes of nature, we are equal. And that's why we have inalienable rights that are natural law, or for some people, God-given law, that has nothing to do with the temporal presence. And our objective and our goals should be that these are realized and recognized and appreciated and acted upon around the world. We discovered that, uh, we were discussing that in uh, one of the lectures for my PhD. Um, and we were looking at, you know, how land-based laws are built on natural law um, and our God-given, uh, and then how um, we were discussing that, like, how can we actually abide by a lot of the laws that are of today because they're in conflict with the natural law. 
Um, and when people, when the governments keep changing the laws and adding clauses here, there and everywhere, like for example, we're in, um, someone would say we're in a state of emergency at the moment. And then you have governments that are um, creating new laws, which are going against our God-given rights. So that how can that be a legal law? Because it, law can only stand up if it's based on the natural law. And then, and then you're like, well, no, it can't because you've got all of these other aspects that are going in. And then you've got to look, you know, what is more, what is a moral law? What is an ethical law? And then we're, we've just been talking about your civil rights and your human rights. Well, but civil civil rights are under human rights. So, you know, there's nothing really above human rights, but everything fits under that umbrella, including civil rights. I emphasize the difference because civil rights are based on man-made law mm. that are supposed to protect our abilities to live in society. But the reality is that government, because there are no frameworks for government, there are no foundational uh, parts of, of government in that sense. Yes, the United States has uh, the Declaration of Independence and the Constitution, which are the foundational documents. Uh, but for many countries, those kinds of documents do not exactly exist or do not exist in anything other than words. And sometimes that's true in the United States and the UK and all these places that are supposed <laughs> to be civilized. Uh, and, and, to be civilized. And, and, but, but what government does, and this is, I think, very important to understand, what government does is government passes legislation to make governing easier for those who govern. It does not take into account the natural law and inalienable rights. It asks us to give them up for security. But again, we and come back to your, uh, your point earlier that security and safety, these are very different things to a lot of people. For example, with absolutely. me sailing around the world, like, I feel secure on a boat in the middle of the ocean. Don't think twice of it. Like some of my friends are like, yeah, no, I'll just watch you leave. Like I'm, I feel secure on and I'm not going out there, you know? And when we were diving the other week, I'm just like straight on. I'm not, I haven't got a life jacket on. I'm just going off. I'm just going under the water. I'm diving down deeper. I've got my uh, air tank on. And it's interesting because when we look at what safety and security means to individuals, like you were saying, it's like, well, what is secure? And are, have we got people who are, have got a mentality of jobs worth? I, I need an easier life. I need to pass this. It needs to be easier. Who is it going to be easier for? And if we make, if we keep going down the easy route, how are we all growing? How are we all evolving? How and why are we dumbing down certain things instead of actually raising people up to understand the high level things? Right, and that go, but that goes back to exactly what I said, is government does that to make life easier for government. Mm. The only way government can do that in principle is if people are willing to give up those rights to government for something in return. What we often don't recognize is that when we do that, we make life more, ultimately more difficult 
for human beings to survive. Because once you've given it up, once there is a law in place to keep you from your inalienable rights, your human rights, it is very hard to get them back without a fight. So government passes laws to make governing easier with the promise of both physical and economic security. It usually doesn't work out that way. Government people get richer, governments may get richer, the people very often do not reap those benefits. No. Now, there are places that have universal health care. So the public does achieve that benefit and probably has given something up in order to get that benefit. Those could be considered fair trades. In most cases, it's not. So in most countries around the world, uh, government gives the police or national security or other agencies tremendous power over the public. It's not ever clear that those trade-offs are really fair or just, but it makes it easier to be the government because you can control the public. The truth of the matter is that what is difficult... The truth is, the truth is what is often difficult is often more sustainable. So we know that it's hard to create community, successful communities, because people have to work at that, just like they have to work at relationships, just like they have to work at creating great art, just like they have to work at creating great food, just like they have to work at building great countries. Those are all hard things. But if you work hard, the end result is greater success that makes life much more enjoyable. Imagine if Picasso didn't drive himself crazy to what the world would be like. If, If Mozart didn't beat himself up over the perfection of music. Uh, that's hard to be brilliant and creative and inventive. And it's not only in art, it's in medicine, it's in government, it's in construction, it's in all of those things. The people who go beyond what could ever be expected. But if we go for the easy way, we say we'll give that up so that governing can be easier. Governing was never meant to be easy. Oversight over your fellow citizens was never meant to be easy. And we shouldn't, as citizens, we have an obligation to hold them responsible to protect and defend our human rights, not sacrifice our human rights so their jobs are easier. Mm. It's a hard message to get through because very often you have to work with people in government who are not going to see it that way. Mm. And it's understandable that they don't see it that way, but it makes life much more complicated for people like me. It brings a couple of things that we learned when we were doing mixed martial arts, when uh, we were saying I think about- you're frozen. <laughs> oh, have I frozen? Uh, am I back? <laughs> I hear the bird. <laughs> <laughs> 
yeah, yeah. it's a really beautiful space that i'm in it's uh, another remote area nice and tranquil um but one of the things i remember from the uh, mixed martial arts days uh sensei would say to us that bad habits are easy to make but difficult to live with good habits are difficult to make but easy to live with and one of the reasons why they're difficult to make is because there's so many bad habits around like you're drinking and you're smoking and you know the consuming of goodness knows what else you're putting inside your body and it um i was having a conversation with the chap here who um who owns this um posada um here in brazil and um we he was saying you're very fussy with the food and i was like well I'm just choosing carefully what I've put inside my body. I'm choosing carefully who I spend my time with. I'm, you know, I don't, I only want natural foods inside my body because I'm, I've only got one body and I want to take care of it. And, you know, and it's um, quite interesting because a conversation we had over breakfast this morning was that um, when we go into these positions and we know people of a certain standing or we get involved with local government um, or local, you know, and we're seeing the policies coming down from um, when I was a school governor and I saw the documents and the policies coming down from uh, like national government down into regional and then into the local education authorities. I like, hang on a second why are we having all of this drip fed into our schools and into our children? This is not right. Um, you know, and asking, you know, what is the purpose of this? What is, what is it that makes this an e what makes this acceptable? And me being me and you know what I'm like, I, you know, and everything we have family meetings and my boys are like, my boys, this is what mummy was shown in the meeting today. Uh, what do you think to this? You know, this is what uh, national government is telling the local educational authority and as school governors to instill into the head teachers, into the teachers, which then comes to you. Do you think this is right? And we would have that conversation. And it, when you, you've got access to material or you've got friends who have got access to material and you're having these high level conversations and you're actually wanting to share this information with people, and people are like, oh, I just, I just want to go find out what's on Love Island, or I'm going to be going and burning my sage and putting out my crystals, and you know, and it's like people say they want love, light, and magic in the world, and they want to have it, peace, but burying their head and ignoring the human rights aspects and not getting involved with social movements is actually a big part of the problem. Well, that's what I see as anyway. How do you? um because like you were saying it's not an easy road to take and it does not sometimes it doesn't offer a very good financial reward but for both of us it's like but we can't not talk about these things we can't not address these issues because they're important and if it was me how would i be feeling wouldn't i want someone to help wouldn't I want someone to be a voice for me? And why is it people aren't prepared to either be a voice or get together and be a louder voice? When we have so many people that are wanting to be an entrepreneur and they're talking about 10K months and 10K weeks and 20K months and all of this in the entrepreneurial world, it's like, okay, well, if you're getting that, what are you using it for? 
How are you doing that? What are you, how are you using that to better the world? Or are you just using it to better the, the material things that you have in your life? And I know I'm confrontational and I know I'm more like a bull in a china shop than I probably could be. And I've learned to be tactful over the years, <laughs> believe it or not. <laughs> but I do find a lot of people, they're just like, okay, I'm just going to ignore what Dawn's put up there. Not gonna, I'm not going to answer that. I'm not going to acknowledge that. And it gets a bit lonely sometimes. How do you, how does that, I mean, that was a blur at you. Um, <laughs> but it does. And I, I just get so frustrated with the people who talk the talk, but are not willing to walk it. I think, you know, it, it's hard to walk all the time uh, without anything to lean on. Hmm, but, yeah, it is. But... Uh, As long as you don't judge the other people, there are people who their whole concern is just how much money they can make. That's who they are. That's okay. The world is big enough to include people with all different ideas of what's important. Uh, some of them are generous. Some of them are not. That's the way people are. And, and the same is true for people that don't have resources. Mm -hmm. Some are extraordinarily generous, even though they have nothing or very little. And others who have everything are not generous at all. So I, I don't spend any time judging their motives or what they do do and what they don't do with what is theirs as resources. What I try to do is just engaging conversation and try to see what's important. And I think that if you dig deep enough for many people or most people, we share common values. You know, if you have children, if you believe in education, if you uh, care about the environment, if you are concerned about healthcare, it, becomes shared no matter how people respond in the normal course of their life. And when you find common ground, then you can open the door to conversations, some of which can be uncomfortable. But you first have to develop a certain sense of trust. And I know even for myself, that is not always easy especially with government officials. Because my first impulse, as wrong as it is, is that a, a vast majority of people who go into governmental service do it first for the right reasons, and then they do it to stay in office. And when they do it to stay in office, it becomes very problematic. When they think that they're better off or we are all better off because they're the ones that are doing it, that ego gets in the way of them doing the job that they're supposed to do. And that is very, very problematic. So then I believe as a citizen, 
we have an obligation to hold their feet to the fire because they're governing. They're supposed to be leaders. And when they're not doing that and you push back, there are repercussions. Mm. And I have felt them in many, many places um, around the world and certainly here at home. And it makes other citizens uncomfortable because they're afraid of what negative things might happen to them if they show support for what you're trying to do. Mm. And so they may shy away from you. See, this is the and thing in that, that respect, it can be lonely. Mm. People, uh, because it's quite yeah, so. interesting for me because when, you know, my friends and I, we're getting together and we're, we're here and we're, our businesses are growing and we're receiving more income and we're doing it so that we can actually, again, okay, well, how can I use this for the betterment of other people and how can I pay this forward? And, you know, and it, it is interesting that a friend of mine, she's, did, she's done incredibly well for herself um and she doesn't talk about a lot of the the things that she invests in and the charities or the organizations that she does and she was one of those people that had a lot of hatred put towards her oh look at you you know you're with your chanels and da 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 da, da. and but what people didn't see because she didn't talk about it because it wasn't about the ego was that she was helping a lot of social movements and it's this thing that's coming in that, well, it's all right for you. You've got this, that, and the other. And it's like, yeah, but you don't know the struggles that we've been through to get to this point, or you don't know the work that we're doing behind the scenes. And it can be, you know, when you're getting a lot of uh, the, a lot of the, um, the messages come in and say thank you for what you're doing thank you for what you're sharing the books you're writing the interviews you're doing the the people you're giving a voice for that actually makes a massive world of difference but in relation to the number of people that either ignore you or people that you've known for a very long time that go you know what i can't deal with you anymore um i can't have this in my space and it's like, okay, that's your boundary. I honor that. I respect that. I get it. It takes a, it takes a certain kind of person to walk the path that you have, uh, you've walked, Robert. And I really do admire you um, in so many ways. Um, one of the things I'm interested to know is with everything that's going on, I mean, you're, in, you're based in America at the moment. I'm here in Latin America. Uh, you know, we're seeing a lot of things happening in our, uh, the countries that we're in. Um, it looks like the, the president here is uh, about to go bye-bye. <laughs> I just tend to end up in countries where <laughs> I, I arrived in Chile, there was an uprising. I'm here in Brazil, there's about to be an uprising. <laughs> I'm going to have people go it's time for you to go to Venezuela. <laughs> yeah, well. Watch his face. <laughs> I might end up there. <laughs> but I've had a few people go, please don't come to our country, Dawn, because we don't want to. <laughs> like, Why not? It's not my fault. I, this Because when these things happen, it's been a result of 10, 20, 30 years, and people eventually snap, and they go, we're done. 
were absolutely done. And remember when we were in Egypt and I remember the, that week, it was a week of just the, the blindfold coming off for so many people when state TV kept saying, there's nothing going on. There's only a few people gathering. But people could see for themselves, there were millions of people out on the streets from Suez, down in Ismailia, out in Haggadah, like all the places. Oh, no, no, there's only a few people in the square, but people were seeing it, people, we, and that's why they shut down the internet. And when that happened, boom, so much kicked off. But people had got to the point where like, we're just fed up with being lied to. We're fed up with us paying our taxes and you not investing it in our education. And the reason you're not investing it in the education is so that we're not smart enough to ask the questions. We're not getting the jobs. We're not getting the money. So we're le left in fear and in poverty and worrying about where the money is coming from. So we haven't got time to fight the government because we're looking for food or we're looking to pay the money in our bills, et cetera. And, and it was just when those moments happen and you feel it, and my friends joke with me, like, don't come to our country because you're going to kick something off. I'm like, no, I'm just raising your awareness. Or because I'm here, you're now becoming aware of what's happening. Because I, I speak about it. And I think it's really vitally important that we do speak about it. But I'm interested to know where you think everything is heading with this whole council culture and the fact that human rights at the moment seems to be in violation uh, on a scale and people are just going, oh, okay, we'll just give up our rights to pretty much everything. Um, and it's almost like some people have just kind of given up hope and they're willing to have things done to them, which they know they shouldn't, but they just want an easy life. Well, it's not that they want an easy life in many cases, it's just that they want to survive. Survival is, the, the need to survive is a paramount feeling in all of us. Uh, we'll do whatever it takes to survive. We'll give up just about anything to survive because survival is the only hope. As long as I'm alive, there's hope. Uh, so you do what it takes to stay alive. But as we discussed earlier, when the work that it takes to survive is hard and you get through that, you feel victorious. When you sacrifice your dignity to survive, you are always going to be resentful. Mm -hmm. And that creates a very dangerous element in society. So it's, it is complicated. People are complicated. Um, our brains are complicated. Our societies are complicated. Emotions and, are complicated. <laughs> right. So, so it's, it's, it's how we uncomplicate those aspects, as many aspects as we can, uh, whether it's reducing the amount of things that you have for some or clearing your mind and really being focused for others or whatever it takes for you to simplify what it takes for you to get through the day, mm. what it takes for you to build the strongest relationships possible.
if you can do that, and it's certainly not easy, it makes life easier to live, even though getting there is more difficult than just throwing your hands up in the air and say, do with me what you want. All I want to be able to do is survive. Uh, so, you know, life for cave people was very easy in that sense. It was hard. You lived in the, the weather, you lived with wild beasts, you lived with whatever. So that part was hard. Getting through the night and not being eaten by a saber-toothed tiger was hard. But your focus was on just survival. You didn't think of women's rights. You didn't think of racism. You didn't think of prejudice or economic stability. Uh, you were just worried about that saber-toothed tiger and, and maybe wolves. And as that became less and less of an, a, an issue, then you had the luxury of thinking about these other things. Mm, that's what problems. Thinking about healthcare, thinking about, we want clean water. Um, I those just want became, water. <laughs> right? that, those were luxuries. Uh, and each generation finds different issues because certain issues have been dealt with successfully or modestly successfully. And so the next mountain that needs to be climbed is one that is focused on the issues that you can afford to focus on, that the previous generation didn't have the luxury to think about or consider because they were that much closer to a world where just surviving was everything. And that's why when you go to certain parts of the world or certain parts of your own country and you see those who are truly impoverished in all aspects, mm. those people don't worry about the things that they worry about in New York and London and Paris and Tokyo. They're still worrying about how are we gonna put food on the table? How are we gonna stay warm? How are we going to put clothing on the backs of our children? Uh, so their lives in that respect are simpler even though their daily struggles may be more difficult. And that's another place where government has, you know, allow, allows that to be because those people are much easier to control until they're not. And that's where rebellion comes from. When you've had enough, when you see that others do not live in the dire straits that you live in and that they give it to themselves based on the sweat of your brow. And that's not something that people tolerate well over the long term. One of the things I've noticed traveling up through Brazil over the last few months is they, in the South, they talk of the North as uh, they live like Africans. <laughs> That's a pretty big place. <laughs> like, what, what are you thinking? What are, you know, and the further north I got, and the the what I saw, they were just very one brick thick houses, one room, all whole family living in one room. You know, there so much poverty, um, and yet the happiness 
um, and the, the community in these areas. It's just so, so beautiful to be part of. And it, and it reminded me of when I lived in Egypt and then I returned to um, the UK that I got quite frustrated in some ways because people were moaning about the NHS and how bad things were and how difficult things were. And I'm just like, oh my God, do you hear yourself? Like, do you, like seriously, you think you've got a hard life because your four by four has got a puncture, you know, and you can't get the kids to school on time because you've got to wait for the AA man to come and change your tire rather than you doing it yourself. <laughs> and you're not on the edge of the Corniche in uh, from uh, Helloan to Tahrir Square. And you, you haven't got cars whizzing by you trying to cross the equivalent of the M1 in the UK or whatever big, huge motorway, the Autobahn in Germany. You haven't got to cross that in the morning to get your kids onto the bus and you know navigate that. And it was there was so much frustration in me because of what we'd seen and what we'd lived through. Um, and sometimes I do, like I hear people talking about this whole situation that we're in at the moment with this virus. And it's like, it to me in part of it, it's like, it's such a spoiled Western problem in a way because people can't travel. Oh, poor you, you can't travel. Did you not know that the Palestinians get, shot on their way to school or like the people in East Timor, people say, where's East Timor? And you're like, oh my God. You know, and when you're aware of some of these issues and people, you know, that are talking this very big game don't know some of these and you're just like, how do we not know these things when we've got the internet and how do, you know, and people can learn how to twerk on TikTok, but they can't figure out how to do certain other things or they can find out information you know, for things that, you know, maybe I would deem pointless, but they can't find out about what's really going on in the world and see the bigger picture. And sometimes I find that really quite frustrating. So for someone, let's say that they're finding it really frustrating, like I have done, what would be your advice to them if they really wanted to get involved with human rights and some of the uh, projects that you're working on? Obviously, they would like them to find uh, and go to your website. Well, certainly they can right. They can certainly contact me, uh, which is fine and welcome. <laughs> uh, but I think that people have to discover things. Uh, you know, one of the problems, one of the great things about the past was we had encyclopedias. Mm -hmm. And when you were looking for something in an encyclopedia, you would see the things that were next to it in the alphabet. So if you were looking up elephant, you would see eggplant and you would see other things. And now if you Google them or use another search engine, all you get is a million pages on the exact subject that you're looking for. You never see the other letters. No, And, um, when, and when you're doing newspapers online, you see the story that you're looking for. You don't see like when you were flipping through a newspaper and something caught your eye and you read it and you said, oh my God, I didn't even know about that. So we've limited our exposure because of the way information is delivered. And so one way for people to really discover the world is to unclutter the focus and expand the horizon. So get a newspaper, 
or get a, a, a global magazine uh, or read and get a VPN. That, you know, those things give you much greater exposure than the limits that are placed on us by the new delivery systems, mm. which really uh, shortchange us in terms of knowing things that we otherwise might not know because we can so easily find only what we're looking for. Mm. I love that analogy. And the other thing I like about that is when you've seen an encyclopedia um, and when you're actually looking through those old books, um, yes, some of the books that I really want are no longer allowed to be <laughs> published for one reason or another. <laughs> There's a few books, um, but once it's in print, it's in print. But once it's on a web page, it can be edited, it can be deleted, it can be manipulated. And I, I've noticed that the more I've traveled around the world, how much more I use my virtual private network and how when I search for something um, in one country and then I do the exact same search in a country when I've changed my VPN, it doesn't come up because of the government controls of what information is allowed to be shared on or in those countries. And that was a big game changer for me. I mean, obviously I've been doing this for quite a number of years and, you know, I got very excited when I found out about virtual private networks and changing it. Obviously I was married to Ramo who was a, you know, when I first met him, he was a Palestinian refugee and we did joke that, oh, you're only marrying me for the passport. You know, obviously he wasn't because I'm just fabulous. But <laughs> but the thing is, is when you understand how uh, the information we see on the internet is so manipulated and we're seeing all these fact checkers now coming out about things, but who's fact checking the fact checkers and making sure that they're, they're right? And again, it's this whole cancel culture that we're seeing. I was mortified that they've canceled Dr. Seuss. I was like, 10 apples upon top one of the best books to help teach English as a foreign language. <laughs> it was brilliant. And it, it's just really interesting that the, the, just the right to choose what you read and what you see and how you see it and how it's presented um, is just changing. So we're being filtered without us even realizing it a lot of the time. So one of the things I love is going down the rabbit hole with Alice and the caterpillar, not just because there's tea, but anyway. So um, what, um, I'm very conscious of time um, and I know that you've got a huge amount on and you're very busy and you're about to move home and you've got a, you know, some incredible projects that you're working on. What is uh, the, what, if there was one project that you could um, invite people to get involved with or to have you as a keynote speaker, um, what would they be, what would they be on and how can people reach you? Well, uh, there are a couple or three right now. Um, one is the idea of what change is and how to make change sustainable and how to take the lead on change rather than being subject to the change. Uh, so it's about foundation and infrastructure within an organization or within yourself that allows you to take the lead on change. Because change is coming no matter what you do, it's going to find you. 
it's going to find you and how you live, where you live, why you live. And you have a choice. You can be in front of that or you can fall behind and be trampled by it. So that's one. The other is looking at government and governmental agencies and how to take deep, deep dives into policies and protocols so that we can really discover why we have systemic problems around the world based on governmental structures, which can also include, include business structures that were formed very long ago that are maintained because of false information uh, without context. So that we never really address root causes. We mandates to the surface problem. The wound remains infected and infested. And so we don't solve problems. We just try to cover them over cosmetically. Then the third is possibly the biggest because it's the largest human effort in history, if it works, which is first the celebration of the 75th anniversary of the Universal Declaration of Human Rights, which is in 2023, which then will become the kickoff towards the 100th anniversary of the Universal Declaration of Human Rights in 2048, which I may or may not be here for. Um, and the idea is to put the declaration in the hands of 8 billion people around the world so that every single woman, man, youth and child will claim as their own their inalienable rights and hold authority responsible for protecting and defending them rather than us, the citizen, sacrificing those human rights so that government can control us. It just made me really quite emotional that last bit. I was like, yeah, that's, uh, and then, you know, when you hear that and that gets you, that's when you know that this is, you know, part of who you were born to be and to know that that is possible and to celebrate that would, that's like a dream come true. And that's, um, well, I'm hoping because if we can get the numbers of people engaged as we will need in order to make it truly global, including in the places where human rights are so restricted, like in China and Russia, and in places where we think that there are human rights where, as you said, uh, because we don't know everything, we don't know what we don't know. Mm. Uh, but if we can get the right number of people and, and get activity on every continent, in every country, in every community, we change the world. And it also becomes the single largest human event in history because people are reclaiming what is theirs. I think that's a very beautiful place to stop. So I'd just like to say thank you so much for joining me for this first episode of uh, The Truth Serum. <laughs> thank you. yeah it's been wonderful thank you so much and how do people get hold of you robert um the easiest i guess is email which is rtk 
at gmail.com. So that's rtk212 at gmail.com. Excellent. Right, well, I'll put your um, LinkedIn profile uh, on the show notes as well. And the, the website for the pdhre.org. Am I right in that? Right. Uh, which is it's the personal not, development. It's not an active website, oh, okay. but it does have tremendous amounts of information. Yes, it does. Yes, it does. So that's uh, pdhre.org, which is the Personal Development of Human Rights Education, um, which uh, Robert um, is very much uh, lead on that. So I'll put all those details in the show notes, but thank you once again for taking time out to spend with me and my audience as it grows. Thank you. <laughs> You're welcome. Take care. I will do. Ciao, ciao. Bye. We really hope you've enjoyed this episode of the Truth Serum Podcast. You can follow Dawn directly through her Instagram account, instagram.com forward slash real Dawn Bates. This is an invitation only podcast. That said, if you would like to speak with us or come on the show, please send an email through hello at dawnbates.com. And as always, thank you for pushing your mindset towards a better reality. This concludes the most thought-provoking portion of your day. Remember to like and subscribe to stay fully up to date. Sharing is caring, so share away. Until next time, folks, grab a good book, see a sunset, and expand your knowledge and experience.